into this kick-ass Yeti microphone here. Good to be with you. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Pain and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. You can get me on Twitter at Sean T. Pendergast. If you're watching on the video stream, you can see that right at the bottom of the screen there. Great to be with all of you on a Tuesday where uh, this is being recorded within moments of D'Amico Ryan's wrapping up his uh, combine press conference. So wanted to get some reaction to some of the things D'Amico had to say. Maybe preview Nick Casario's press conference a little bit tomorrow. Uh, give you some combine thoughts, and then I've got a handful of mailbag questions. If you do want to email in a question for a future mailbag, mailbag at gmail.com, mailbag at gmail.com. We appreciate everybody downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Always appreciate you telling a friend as we continue with this format. Format's probably going to go me on Tuesday, solo with a mailbag, and then Thursday, I'll have guests throughout the offseason on the podcast. Seems to be working pretty well since we made our changes to uh, to the format here. So um, so it's great to be with you. Let's get right into it. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's met with the media at the press at the uh, NFL Combine a little earlier this afternoon, and I thought there were a few interesting nuggets to come out of it. Uh, D'Amico is never going to, nor will most head coaches, uh, give any sort of uh, bulletin board or seventy-two size font headline fodder at a combine press conference. But given where the Texans are this season, especially compared to last season, I think there were a lot of people looking forward to seeing what D'Amico Ryans would have to say. Last season, he had yet to coach a game as a head coach in the NFL, and the Texans quarterback was Davis Mills. Um, This year, it's a lot different. D'Amico Ryans should have won coach of the year, and he's got one of the best young quarterbacks in recent history on his team. So this is a very different-looking team, a very different-looking offseason for the Texans. By my count, zero questions about the draft that I counted. Listened to the whole thing, took notes, and unless I'm off base here, unless I misinterpreted one of his answers, because unfortunately you can't hear the questions at these press conferences, zero questions about the draft, several questions about free agency and existing players on the team. And then, as you can imagine, uh, when I say existing players on the team, at least I would count uh, two or three questions minimum on C.J. Stroud, who is, uh, look, he's been one of the stars of the offseason so far. NBA celebrity all-star game, Amber Rose strutting out of Minute Maid Park with her, being sarcastic, um, but he, he was walking out of Minute Maid Park with her. So um, so here were my highlights from the D'Amico press conference. Had a lot of nice things to say about C.J. Stroud. Um, and Will Anderson, I thought one of his more interesting comments was when he called C.J. and Will, quote, two anchors for our team and for our locker room. And to me, it kind of reiterated, maybe validated is overstating it a little bit because it's kind of obvious, but I hearing D'Amico say that, I think kind of accentuates what their strategy was when they got so aggressive to move up for Will Anderson. They didn't need to get aggressive to move up or anything to get CJ. They had earned the second pick in the draft, Um, but the move up to get Will Anderson, I thought all along that those moves, given where they were back to back, more than anything else, it was about recalibrating the locker room and the culture on both sides of the football. And I thought D'Amico saying, quote, two anchors for our team and for our locker room, I think probably, if anything, probably hammers home that 
the strategy that he and Nick had in doing that was a successful one last year, uh, obviously with the offensive and defensive rookies of the year. So I thought, I thought that was, that was just kind of a cool aside. I think the one thing that got most people's attention, it would appear, because I was listening to In the Loop, and Landry Locker pointed this out. I texted Seth Payne right away when this happened in the press conference, and I saw since then, I've been on Twitter for a few minutes before recording the podcast, I saw a few other people notice this, that um, when it came to commenting on two of the Texans' own free agents, Devin Singletary and Dalton Schultz, it seemed as though the answer about Singletary was a little more happy and welcoming, I guess. Um, now, look, I think they want Dalton Schultz back on this team, but I do wonder if the fact that that D'Amico said, we would love to have Devin Singletary back with this team, and with Schultz, he did not say that. He said he's very proud of the season Dalton had last year and then kind of left it at that. So maybe I'm reading too much into it, but there was no love to have him back for Dalton. I wonder. I do wonder if that's maybe an indicator of how negotiations are going with Schultz right now. Um, it's not a great tight end free agency class, and it's not a great draft class for tight ends. So I wonder if, unlike last season, where it was a great class, both in free agency and especially in the draft, um, and I think Schultz felt that. That's why he wound up on a one-year prove-it deal with the Texans. Um, I do wonder if this offseason Schultz is looking at this as, okay, this is my opportunity. I got to hit while the iron's hot. I think that there's a good chance, maybe not a great chance, but I think he could get franchise tagged, Dalton Schultz. And I think especially after the salary cap numbers came out and they were considerably higher than people forecast they were going to be. They were being forecasted in the mid 240s somewhere, 240 some odd million, 255.4 ended up being the number. I could very well see where Nick Casario would take the extra money that's being allotted and use that on a franchise tag for Dalton Schultz while they either work out a longer term deal or bring him back for one year and then see how it goes. So uh, I thought that was interesting as did a lot of you. So, so that's, that's number two. Um, had really nice th things to say D'Amico did about Bobby Slowick, but was very quick to give credit to the players, uh, which is, I think that's going to be his MO. And I think some of that is what you're seeing D'Amico as a former player. I, I would imagine D'Amico harkens back quite a bit to, okay, how would I like to have been treated as a player? How would I like to have been acknowledged? The players are the ones who are putting their bodies on the line every Sunday. And I thought that was a, it was a great answer. D'Amico, obviously very complimentary of Bobby Slowick. You can tell D'Amico's very excited about the continuity in the staff um, with uh, Bobby Slowick, Gerard Johnson, and everybody else coming back next year. Um, even said, we don't have to learn new terminology or learn a new playbook. I can't imagine they would bring somebody in who's running a completely different offense, but obviously there's different flavors of the Kubiak-Shanahan offense. And um, if they had were to have to go find some other branch on a Shanahan Kubiak tree somewhere, uh, chances are there would be a learning curve. At the very least, acclimating coach and player, and by player I mean very specifically C.J. Stroud, with just you know chemistry and what they like and the coach learning what C.J. likes and so forth. There's zero of that learning curve. And you could tell that D'Amico was um, excited about that. Did mention wide receiver. was asked about wide receiver and um, the position. And did not intimate if it was draft or free agency where they would be looking to improve that position. If I had to guess, I think it's both. I think they've really only got two receivers right now on the roster that you can feel 
really good about Nico Collins and Tank Dell. After that, I think there's a good chance Robert Woods is not on the team anymore. I think he could be a cap casualty. Um, and I think John Mechie and Xavier Hutchinson are obviously massive works in progress, if that. So we'll see. But I think the Texans are in the market. I know a lot of people want them to be in the market for Mike Evans. Uh, Jason Light, the GM for the Buccaneers today, really made it sound like they're going to do everything they can to keep Mike Evans in a Buccaneers uniform for his career. Um, so that the wind may be taken, some of the wind may be taken out of the Mike Evans sales. We'll see. Uh, but I think the right approach for the Texans is to find a couple mid-tier veteran wide receivers. You know, whatever this year's version of Robert Woods is, maybe maybe shopping in a little more expensive of an aisle. I think Woods was like a $7 million a year guy. Maybe shopping in that $10 million aisle. Tyler Boyd is a name that pops to mind for me. Somebody who's been a third receiver in Cincinnati and been very productive. Guy like that. I think a couple guys in that sort of price range, veteran guys to supplement and deepen that room. Um, because I think C.J. Stroud is... I think he can he can make almost anything work. He made Noah Brown look like Jerry Rice for two weeks this year. So, um, but as far as D'Amico goes, he didn't give up how they'd be looking for receivers. What he said was, we're looking for separators who can get open, particularly on third down. That could be almost anybody who's good. So anybody who's looking at that quote saying, yep, he wants Mike Evans. Yeah, there's other guys that get open too. Um, and to be clear, I would be cool with Mike Evans. I just wouldn't be cool with Mike Evans on a four-year $90 million deal, something like that. I, I don't think, I don't think this team's at the stage where you're, where you're splurging on finishing touches type of moves on guys that chances are you're going to be taking dead money hits on in a couple of years. A um, couple other things um, with D'Amico said, they look for the person over the player. I think it's very clear. I think this is a big reason why D'Amico's in Indianapolis is that he likes to be in on the interviews with these guys um, and, and really get a feel for what type of person they are. They talked a lot about the vetting process or the scouting process with C.J. Stroud and how many different people they talked to throughout that process to arrive at C.J., including, he said, pretty much any Ohio State person that came through the door during the combine and draft and evaluation process, top 30 visits. I don't know if they had other Ohio State guys in at NRG Stadium during that process, but any opportunity they got to talk to Ohio State people they always asked about CJ and they always said, those people always said glowing things about CJ Stroud. Person over player was a big one for me too with D'Amico Ryans. And then the last one, really good things to say about Christian Harris, which is pretty cool to see since Christian Harris, I, I would imagine, I don't know that D'Amico would ever say this, but I would imagine Christian Harris probably viewed as sort of a pet project of his, just given the linebacker position, maybe even the Alabama ties. Um, but he said Christian Harris is the fastest linebacker he's ever coached referred to last season as basically Christian Harris's rookie season, which we know factually is not true. He was a rookie in 2022. But I thought it was interesting that, at least with Christian Harris, D'Amico essentially took a look at anything that went on in 2022 and just ripped it up and threw it out and said, we're starting in 2023. And it took – Harris looked like a rookie for a big chunk of 2023 till about midway through the season. And then for the second half of the season, and then in particularly in the postseason – um, he was one of the best players on the on the defense for the Texans. So very optimistic. Green Arrow pointed up next to Christian Harris. So those are the big ones, I would say, for D'Amico. And tomorrow we'll have Nick Casario. I wonder if we'll get probably some questions a little more geared towards what the Texans' approach is to this offseason um, with free agents. I, maybe we'll get some follow-up on the Devin Singletary, Dalton Schultz um, speculation that's going on now based on D'Amico's comments today. Um, and, and I would imagine plenty of C.J. Stroud 
with Nick Casario. But that's at noon tomorrow. So I would imagine on Thursday's episode, we'll do a quick recap of that one um, before we um, before we get in with whichever guest we book. Guest TBD right now on um, on Thursday. All right, so that's D'Amico's press conference in the books. As far as the combine as a whole goes, um, I think what I'm watching for this week, very little in the way of specific prospects this week. I'm not huge. For one, quarterbacks are always the main event. We have a quarterback here. So I'll watch the quarterbacks work out. with The ones that have chosen to work out, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, not working out. So um, so we're not probably not going to get a C.J. Stroud-type combine performance unless Drake May is working out and puts on a show. I am mostly looking. I'm mostly watching this combine for things that have nothing to do with this rookie class. If I'm being honest, Nick Casario's press conference tomorrow for sure. I was looking forward to D'Amico's press conference. I think news coming out of the combine. We have all the agents and all the GMs all in one spot, like a big summit meeting. So I think we could start to see some movement on teams signing their own free agents. At the very least, we are getting uh, sound bites from GMs of other teams when they're getting asked about players that I think Texan fans are very excited about. I mentioned Jason Light talking about the Buccaneers wanting to keep Mike Evans. Um, Justin Matabike, the defensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, who I know a lot of Texan fans are hopeful that the Texans would be in on in free agency. It's going to be super expensive, but Texas A&M kid, Texas, you know, from here, um, Eric DaCosta, the GM of the Ravens, said that they would use the franchise tag if they needed to, in all likelihood, on Justin Matabuike. So so that's another one that you can kind of de facto cross off the list, or at the very least, if you wanted him, you'd have to trade for him. I don't want the Texans trading draft capital for any of these guys. I don't want them trading draft capital at this stage of the game for the Texans. I don't want them trading draft capital for the right to pay somebody a top-dollar contract. I don't want to trade for Justin Jefferson. I don't want to trade for Justin Matabuike. Um, I would say of other players that the Texans fans and the Texans may be in on, um, Joe Shane, the GM for the Giants, said that they would still consider using the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley. That uh, kind of runs contrary to reports we had seen that they would not use the franchise tag. I think ultimately they don't use the franchise tag. I think Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, <clears throat> Tony Pollard, I think they all become free agents and are available to the Houston Texans. But I'm I'm watching more the combine for the hot stove league stuff than I'm watching for Chop Robinson running a cone drill. You know what I mean? Um, I think we're going to see a lot of news, both directly from sound bites from GMs, as well as just the rumor mill churning with the Rappaports and the Schefters of the world. So I'm excited about that. That should be a, a fun next few days. And the combine goes into this weekend. The quarterbacks that do choose to throw are throwing on Saturday this week. So um, so that's that's what I'll keep my eye on for the combine. All right, let's get into some mailbag questions. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Appreciate everybody sending in their questions. Some long questions here, so I want to give myself plenty of runway. Um, let's start with Matthew. My man, Matthew Kosecki, said, I'd like to start by saying you're welcome to the idea of bringing in guest hosts. Yeah, you're the creative brains behind the podcast, Matthew. I appreciate that. Um, even if you use someone other than myself to start, he says. Uh, maybe someday. You never know. Um, he says, questions about the Texans offseason. It's taken from a mantra that has worked for the Astros. Everyone talks about the draft as a place you go best player available. Free agency, you identify weaknesses or holes 
and fill those. The Astros were known back when they had real GMs, at least, as a team that understood trying to add value doesn't have to be about filling a hole. It's about finding a value in a player and then figuring out how best they can improve your team. I'm paraphrasing here. So for instance, re-signing Schultz and signing Hunter Henry or signing two starting caliber receivers um, versus the uh, number one receiving target this off. Or he, he's saying the number one receiving target should be Tyler Boyd. Um, basically, he's asking, should the Texans be looking at, at signing value guys? Maybe it's not a huge position of need. That's how I interpret that. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think the answer is yes. Like anything that improves the football team. And I, I do think that approach is the right one. I just said that at, at wide receiver. Um, you know, so yeah, if you can get Schultz and Henry, this is the, I don't want to say the luxury the Texans have, cause it's not a luxury. Ideally it wouldn't be this way. There are very few positions where they can't go get a couple of guys in free agency if they feel there's value and know that they're going to get on the field. They've got one really NFL caliber cornerback right now. They've got a couple of safeties, but one Petrie didn't play well last year and Jimmy Ward's always hurt. Um, they've got basically one linebacker you feel good about right now in Christian Harris. They've got one defensive tackle you feel good about in Malik Collins. One defensive end you feel good about in Will Anderson. And that's just on that side of the ball. They have basically no running backs right now. I mean, I, I know Damian Pierce. We all love Damian, but he didn't play any snaps in the playoff game. Uh, the loss to Baltimore, I don't think he played many snaps against Cleveland either. So um, so there's there's very few positions the Texans have where if they go, okay, well, we signed Dalton Schultz, but then there's another good value, a tight end. Oh, yeah, let's bring him in. Chances are that guy gets on the field. It's not a deep team right now. They have 30 free agents. So I would be – I'm I'm fine with that, and I get what you're saying about the Astros, and that is kind of the analytical approach. So I I, I like that. All right, hopefully that answered your question. Um, Chris in the ATL, really enjoyed the show last week with Texans Cap. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Someone in the business world, I have a business take on free agency. Um, let me just pause. Yeah, if you missed it last week, the previous episode to this one – um, my guest was Texans Cap, who many of you know, if you follow on social media, maybe you subscribe to his Substack. He is the go-to guy when it comes to anything data or informational relative to, to the salary cap or the Texans in free agency. He's also got good opinions on guys he thinks they should go after based on positional value, based on what he thinks the contracts would look like in free agency. And we hit all that stuff in the podcast. So if you're looking to um, get kind of a primer on what this could look like over the next few weeks for the Texans. Go out of your way to find my full episode with Texans cap from last Thursday. Um, he said that uh, Chris says Texans cap mentioned Casario may still go with one to two year deals. It is in a crazy strategy for the Texans to go with more three or four year deals with better, more expensive players. They still have Stroud on a rookie deal. They choose to re-sign him early. They can do some restructuring. He says, this is the business part of it. I liken this to the business case that it's more expensive to acquire a new employee versus retain a current one. I know it's not apples to apples since it's the NFL, but you have those you you have those value add players already on the team and just have to renegotiate their deals versus having to recruit new players and overspend. I think here's the thing, and you acknowledge this, Chris, in here, is that that analogy, as someone who used to hire a lot of people before I got into radio, I fully, fully, fully understand the concept of it costs you way more to go find somebody new than it is to get your existing people to produce at the level you'd hope they produced that when you hired them on board. 
I, I think the difference there is that the NFL's got plenty of intel on all these guys. In the real world, you're hiring people and you're bringing them in a lot of times as a virtual unknown. This is a sport where there's only 32 businesses. There's a fixed amount of players out there. They've got plenty of intel on guys. I also think, too, that who's to say that if you bring guys in on one- and two-year deals that um, that they're not going to want to stay or you're not going to want to bring them back. I, I just think – I don't think Nick Casario – I'm not saying he's not going to do any three- or four-year deals. He's going to be in on some free agents this year where that's going to be the price of poker is you're going to have to do something beyond a two-year deal. But I don't think he's going to blanket change his philosophy. Um, I like. I think there's one of those in this free agent class, like a four-year guy at market dollar. Other than that, I think it's back to a bunch of one- and two-year guys that are as good or maybe some of them better than the ones they signed last season. And last season's free agency class was pretty good. I think this one will be more talented, and I think it'll include kind of one crown jewel. If I had to guess, it'd be on the defensive side of the ball, ultimately. I don't count one of these running backs as a crown jewel of the class because I think inherently, first of all, they all think they're underpaid to begin with, but I think also the value of these guys is not going to be what some think it will be in the marketplace. So um, I, I would continue with the strategy he's doing which is one and two year guys, unless you got to go balls to the wall to get a star player. They've got the wherewithal to do that. They've got a team that is much closer to winning something big than they are to drafting high in the draft. But I, the, I, I like the thought. I like the creative thought part of that, Chris. But the, the analogy to me doesn't, doesn't really hold water. I appreciate, appreciate all the, 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 uh, the emails, though, Chris. Keep sending them. Just because I rained on your three- and four-year contract parade doesn't mean you shouldn't keep sending me good emails. All right, let's keep it moving here. Um, Tyson on the east side. If the NFL adds an 18th game, which is just a matter of time, he says, what would you like to see that game be? Annual rival, another formulaic opponent, overseas game? That's interesting. Um, I, I've always thought that there needs to be uh, an annual rival game. Like the, the, for the teams that, that there is an appropriate rival um, outside of your division, you know, obviously the Texans have rivals in their division, but one that they, like the Dallas is the obvious one, right? Like the Texans and the Cowboys should play every year, not every four years. Or in the case of next year, um, you know, two years, they, you know, they're, they're, the, the Cowboys are the 17th game, that rando game on the schedule next year. But as far as the formulaic part of the schedule that just turns in perpetuity, um, the Texans play the Cowboys every four years. That's silly. So I think that I think about half the league, I did this exercise one time, maybe I'll do it again. Um, but I, about half the league has a team, you know, has about half the league. You can put rivals together that, that, you know, could play cross conference every year. You know, the two Pennsylvania teams, I think that'd be fun. Uh, the two Texas teams, you know, Dallas and Houston. Uh, you can probably find some permutation down in Florida of either Tampa and Miami or Tampa and Jacksonville. Um, you know, back in the day, the two Bay Area teams. And I think even Raiders Niners would work now. That that Raiders team in Vegas still has a huge, huge fan base that are based in the Bay Area that just treat Vegas as sort of their second home now, I think, football-wise. Um, the two L.A. teams. Uh, you know, so that's four or five of them right there off the top of my head. Um, the two New York teams. So, yeah. I, and then, so for the ones where there's a logical one, do that. And then the other 14, 16 teams, just do some sort of rotation. But yeah, I, I've always thought that whenever possible, if there can be a geographic rivalry, what what would be bad about 
the Texans and the Cowboys playing every year for the NFL. Nothing. So that's my thoughts on that. Appreciate the question, Tyson. Bill Kelly emails in, said, first, all love to the general. That's uh, John McClain. Yep. Uh, he said his last mission charging the gates of Canton for Sir Andre Johnson will live on the <laughs> memory of all Houstonians. Glory to our team and glory to the general. Yeah. Quick congrats to John for getting Andre Johnson into the Hall of Fame. Good job, John McClain. Said, second, I don't want to pretend to know the draft, the free agents, the salary cap, et cetera. What I want to know is will the Texans ever offer the Coach D'Amico-style game day shirts he wears, asking for, like, a lot of Houstonians. Tell me they wouldn't sell a million of the – oh, he's talking about the uh, the blue ones with the red the red outline Texan logo. And he's talking about those long sleeve. Like, it looks like dry fit, long sleeve tees that D'Amico wears. They are pretty dope. I don't know if they sell them or not. It doesn't sound, if it does, Bill, it sounds like you put in the time. I will find out. You know what I'm, I'm going to do? I'm writing this down right now, my list of to-dos. I'm going to text the team, my list of to-dos, not too long today, and ask about Miko shirt. Uh, I'm with you. It looks super comfy. Looks like a great walking shirt for me. I like to walk the neighborhood, and it look, that looks like a shirt that even when it's hot outside, it's probably pretty comfy. And D'Amico wears it, so it's cool. Good question, Bill. I'll find out for you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I will. I will. Uh, I will definitely. Bill goes on to have a lot of nice things to say about the podcast, which I could read, and but that would basically be masturbation, so I won't do that. Um, all right, Joe Q, frequent emailer to the show. You guys are sending in a lot of deep thought emails. Joe Q is always good for good for some uh, some good email uh, fodder. Um, and I got to open an email that he sent to me as backup for, for this particular question. The question is about, he heard me talking about uh, Eli Manning and on the last pod about what it would take to be happy with the Texans in 2024. And I, I kind of brought up Eli Manning. Like the, the fact of the matter is the Giants had very few happy seasons during Eli's time as the quarterback there, but, but they won two Super Bowls, you know? So, you know, do you, are you happy making the playoffs maybe a third of the time over two decades, but two of those runs are Super Bowls? Or would you rather be a perennial playoff team, take your chances that maybe you win a Super Bowl along the way? It makes for a whole lot more relevant and fun seasons. But if your goal is to have a parade, Eli is better than almost every quarterback in the history of the NFL at getting a parade for his city. He's, there's only a handful I think five that have won more Super Bowls than Eli Manning. So, so Joe lays it out and says that the Texans are 50 games under 500 all time, well under 500 since they started winning divisions and making the playoffs in 2011, and that's due to a few really, really bad seasons. But the Texans are actually, since their inception, are in the upper quartile, Jim Irsay joke here, in the um, – the upper quartile of teams winning divisions. They've won seven divisions since 2002 and only seven teams have won more divisions than the Texans. Now I know that that is faint praise. The giants have only won three as an example, but you'd rather be the giants over that period. Cause they won two super bowls. Texans win seven divisions. Giants win three. Um, so the question Joe asks, and it's an interesting one and probably deserves a pot of its own is Apart from the obvious ones like Kansas City, New England, Pittsburgh, throw Philly in there. They won a Super Bowl, went to a couple more, um, won a bunch of divisions, won nine divisions. 
who would you rather have been than the New York Giants over the last 21 seasons? Again, just three divisions, but two Super Bowls. And just looking at the list here, um, I think I think the minimum is you have to be a team that won a Super Bowl. Um, you know, like Baltimore is relevant every single year. Um, they and they won a Super Bowl in 2012. Like I'd rather be Baltimore winning one Super Bowl and being being a team everybody thinks highly of over that period of time than winning two Super Bowls and having to endure a decade and a half of Eli Manning as my quarterback outside of those two Super Bowl runs. That's brutal. Um, I think New Orleans would have been a fun team to root for in that time frame, not just because you won a Super Bowl, but because you got to root for Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterback, and you had some saucy drama going on throughout the their history since 2002. You know, little Bounty Gate. Um, you know, Katrina was unfortunate, but that was the storyline. It's a big reason why Drew Brees wound up there. So I think New Orleans, no on the Cowboys. Now you're starting to get into teams that um, that didn't win Super Bowls. Uh, Denver is an interesting one. You know, you got the uh, you got to a couple Super Bowls in the middle part of the of the the, the 2010s there, and you won a Super Bowl in 2015. Would I rather be the Denver Broncos and the New York Giants over that period of time? That's probably the line right there is Denver, I would say. Um, so yeah, I like you know the Rams. You know they won a Super Bowl. They moved to L.A. I would say the teams that I would rather have rooted for in that time, for sure Baltimore, for sure New Orleans, maybe Denver. Um, and, uh, you know, the teams that won one Super Bowl, like Tampa, no. You know, Rams, maybe. Eh. So that's about it. Good question. All right, two more. These are quick ones. Uh, this is from Vaughn. Is there one player, or if there was one player you could trade up to get in the draft, who would it be? Um, that's an easy one for me. If you listen to Payne and Pendergast, you know, and I think Seth and I are in lockstep on this. Um, it would be Brock Bowers, the tight end out of Georgia. I've seen him going anywhere from five uh, to the Chargers at five. I saw a mock draft yesterday where he slipped all the way to the Bengals at 18. If he starts to get into that teen range, 13, 15, 18 in there, if I were Nick Casario, I'd be making phone calls to move up. And last year's Will Anderson trade up, I know it's for a defensive end, not a tight end. But does make me think, if Nick thinks highly enough of a guy, and I think we've seen Nick's behavior in drafts before, he trades up to get a lot of guys. You know, there's rare is the player that they just picked at their own spot. They either move back or move up. He's always maneuvering around the draft. Um, so I mine would be Brock Bowers, the tight end out of Georgia, who I think, I man, I think of an offense with Nico Collins, Tank Dell, Brock Bowers, C.J. Stroud, whoever they sign it, running back, maybe even draft a running back as well. And you got all these young players growing together with each other. Wow, that's that's a fun thing. So mine would be Brock Bowers. Last one from Brian. Have you been watching the Dynasty? That's the New England Patriots documentary on um, Apple TV. Have you been watching the Dynasty? And if so, what are your thoughts so far? Uh, I have. It's four episodes in. It's ten episodes total. Two drop each Friday. For those who haven't watched it, it's very well done. It's I like it so far. It's very good. Um, even I'm not a Patriots fan. And I don't find myself looking to see oh, how much time is left in this episode. That happens to me a lot in movies and documentaries. Like, all right, we almost done with this here. I don't find myself doing that with this. Uh, I find the, the backstory of Tom Brady coming into the league uh, and his rise to fame fascinating. They do a, an amazing job with the footage they have 
behind the scenes, old VHS footage clearly got like, like with Brady, like his rookie year, his second year, he lived in a condo with one of his teammates and they were filming everything, man. They, they, they must've had like a handheld camcorder. And it's funny to watch Tom Brady as a young player, very different personality. I think than ultimately when he, um, you know, got married, got older, won Super Bowls, became a global celebrity. It's really well done. Um, my only gripes with it so far, one, it's four episodes in. So chronologically right now, <clears throat> we've gotten through the hiring of Belichick, the drafting of Brady, the first three Super Bowls. Episode four ended with them losing, ironically, losing to Eli. And that's one of the Super Bowls we just talked about a minute ago. Um so that's where they are right now, four episodes in. They, again, they drop two episodes every Friday, so there'll be three more weeks' worth of episodes, two each of the next three weeks. Um, my only gripes, two gripes, one, three gripes. Um, one, uh, Ted Johnson, one of my very best friends is, that I've met in this business, who I still keep in touch with to this day, Patriot legend, but who I think is probably on – weird terms with the Patriots based on some of the interviews he did about Bill Belichick back in the day and how Belichick handled concussions and so forth. You would not know Ted Johnson was on the New England Patriots if you watched this documentary. They showed footage of all three of the Super Bowls, of Brady's first Super Bowls. Ted was on all those teams. He's on camera for a total of like five seconds in the first four episodes. And it's usually in some sort of wide shot of, uh, of like multiple players, like standing on the sidelines, high-fiving and whatnot. So that's number one. Uh, don't cancel Ted Johnson, Apple TV or NFL films or whoever's doing this. All right. Ted was on those teams. You cannot erase him from existence. Number two, speaking of Ted's, uh, conversely, whereas Ted Johnson has been written out of the first three Super Bowls by this documentary, Teddy Bruschi is portrayed as if he's dick fucking butt kiss. Okay. That's how strongly I feel about it. I'm cursing right now. All right. Um, you can't go four seconds without a Teddy Bruschi vignette in this thing of him sitting down and talking of Teddy Bruschi making a play. Teddy Bruschi literally in 2007, breaking down the locker room while the Spygate controversy swirling around Belichick and breaking down the locker room with some sort of chant, like who doesn't love Bill Belichick. And I'm guessing like two thirds in the guys, in the locker room, are like looking like, not me. I mean, I don't, he's cool. He's a good coach. I like winning these rings, but damn Teddy. Get out of this. Okay, never mind. Um, so um, so Teddy Bruschi, um, I'm not a I'm not a fan of how prominently he's portrayed in this whole thing. Company man. Um, number three, the New York Super Bowl, the Giants win over the Patriots. They had Michael Strahan on there doing some vignettes, doing some interviewing, some sit-down on there. And Strahan is portraying the Giants of 2007 as if they were the heroes of America, as if they were the ultimate baby faces, as if they were the new America's team. To be very clear, one, not for everybody. I live in America and I wasn't rooting for the Giants. I was actually rooting for the Patriots because I wanted the Patriots to finish undefeated. So those old coots that played for Miami back in 1972 would get the hell out of my life and stop popping champagne every year when you get the last undefeated team losing. Those guys annoy the hell out of me. So the Patriots would have eliminated them. Now, would the Patriots be annoying 30 years from now, popping champagne every, probably, probably. But at least they'd have gone 19-0. and The Dolphins went 17-0. and They were underdogs in the Super Bowl back then, if I'm not mistaken. 
So that's I was actually rooting for the Patriots, but this is what I would say to Strahan, dude. Let's let's not act like it's really fun to root for New York teams if you're not from New York. Most of us, I would say most of America was rooting for an asteroid to hit the stadium, okay? If we're being honest, a New York team and a Boston team playing each other in the Super Bowl, we were hoping for the earth to open up and the stadium to get swallowed by it, okay? So the whole thing, like we were America's team and everybody loved us. Eh, not so fast, my friend. Slow down. All right. Good mailbag questions, people. I enjoyed that very, very much. All right. Um, subscribe, rate, review. Appreciate everybody subscribing to this podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you downloading. If you're not subscribing, hit the subscribe button. You get it automatically to whatever um, whatever uh, device it is that you listen to all your podcasts on. So appreciate that. Uh, give us a, a rating, five-star review, whatever. That helps. All that activity helps this podcast. So Really appreciate that. We'll have an episode coming up on Thursday. Guests to be determined. I'm working on that today, but we will have somebody on the podcast with us that you will enjoy, I promise, on Thursday's episode. Um, and we'll look back at Nick Casario's press conference, uh, his Wednesday press conference. We'll take a look back at it on Thursday. Anything that Nick said, uh, will have said tomorrow, we will talk about on Thursday's episode as well. Again, if you want to email the show, you can, mailbag at gmail.com. I read them all. I only use... A handful of them on the show, but I read them all. I save some of them because I know sometimes some are better used at other times on the calendar than others. So don't be afraid to drop me an email. Even with just thoughts on the podcast, what do you think? What do you think? And how do you like it? Uh, I love the feedback. All right. Um, so big thanks to my producer, Anthony Irwin, for getting the podcast out to you guys in a timely fashion. Uh, so for Anthony, I'm Sean. Appreciate all of you listening. Um, we are out of time. I will see all of you on Thursday. Be sure to listen to Pain and Pendergast, 6 a.m., Monday through Friday. Sports Radio 610. Until then, have a great day.